0: Are here on a uh, significant day. Uh, I guess every day is significant, right? I was corrected early in my ministry years when somebody said every day is resurrection day because uh, I kind of have a little bit of a depression that hits me after Easter and I'm thinking, ah, we got a whole year to wait. You know, it's over and it's not over because the same God that the, the King of Life, what a great label we sang. Thanks, Krista and worship team, you, you just took us there. And it's a truth that I, uh, I think is particularly in play today, but it's true all the time, isn't it? I, I really believe that to be the case. Today I want to talk about uh, something that all of us know about and all of us have our different opinions about. But before, since you were so good at raising your hand and waving, that kind of thing, I want you to take both hands right now and extend them in front of you, okay? Just the hands are out, but here's what I want you to do. I want you to clutch them like this, okay? If you were, had your hands down, you'd be grabbing a wheelbarrow, okay? So you're tight, right? So here's the deal. This represents uh, some things that matter to you and me. The, the things that we're going to talk about this morning. And somewhere in the process of living this Christian life, we come to a place of saying, not because we have to, but because we have the opportunity to do so. Okay, Lord, have your way. It's all yours anyway. For a while I held on to it like it was mine, but it's truly, it's yours. Okay? Now, switch your hands to like this. Doesn't that feel better? Because... This kind of gets, I get cramps in my fingers sometimes, <laughs> okay? You just say, okay, and look at your hands. They're, they're empty, but if you can, by faith, imagine they're full of things that God wants to use in your life and in my life. So that's what this morning's about. Any questions? <laughs> <laughs> Let me start by a jolting uh, statement. Maybe you knew this to be true, but Jesus said a lot about money. Said a whole bunch about money, in fact, more than any other single subject. If you were to just analyze the four Gospels, nothing said by Jesus, the Savior of our souls, m- more than money. Uh, did you know that one-sixth, one-sixth of the four Gospels has to do with this single subject? In fact, let me break it down further. One-third of all the parables, there's 20-something parables. Depends on how you count. One-third of them about this topic. Swindoll writes this, Jesus was not a fundraiser. He's been accused of that because he talked about money so much. And if you're a fundraiser, I don't care who you fundraise for, you know it's the, it's survive it's you know produce or perish that's the name of the game in that world so but jesus was not a fundraiser chuck says he dealt with money matters because money matters <laughs> okay and that changed the whole subject here i'm talking about it not because it's comfortable for me that i have to reach into your wallet or your purse today um uh, but that, and by the way, that's not my plan, so relax, okay? I saw two of you ladies grab your purse. Get your own purse, buddy. Uh, anyway, um, let me go broader than this for a second. Uh, God has given us not one or two, but three resources. He's given it to all of us to invest, my hands are open for a reason, in eternity. They are time. Raise your hand if you got a, a, a watch on the wrist somewhere. Okay, I don't have one anymore, so I'm so free and easy, baby. <laughs> no, I my watch died. So uh, anyway, so we got time. We have talent. Do I need to point out people that were up here in front of us, leading us in worship, or the greeters in the back, or the? The piano, the, every part of all of us, it's not a few, it's all of us. We have talent. So we've got time, we've got talent, and yes, we have treasures. The common thread I want us to see this morning is a verb thread, a single word, give, give. Your time, say it with me, your talent, and your, your treasures, right? It's, it's, it's in play today. So there's no hiding uh, bias that we're going to see in the Bible, that our time and our talent and our treasures are ours uh, to use. And in the use of those things, it is the, the, the desire of God that all of us face the question, How can I use them? How can I, I like the word, leverage them? How would I um, give of them for his glory? And I happen to hold to a personal bias. Debbie and I talk about this often. If it's for his glory, it's for my good, our good. You don't find anything anywhere in the Bible that says, well, God's going to get a lot of glory out of this, but I get the shaft. Not true at all. Completely opposite of what the Bible's teaching is. So if it's for his glory and he gets, a, he gets glory from when we use or leverage these things to bring him glory, it will be at the same time a reason for you and me to smile, to say actually, Wow. That was actually a good choice to let go of it. So when you consider this, that the Bible says, uh, actually devotes 2,300 and some change verses on the subject before us, that's two times in case you want a comparison, two times what the Bible says about prayer and about faith. How many think prayer and faith are a big deal in the Christian life? I think everything, right? Prayer and faith. Do you realize Jesus said, the Bible says, broader than Jesus here, more than twice as much about this subject, giving. Uh, I don't even have to assume you're, you're slightly awake to sort of have a hunch that something big is being said here. And that's what I want us to talk about this morning. So let's begin our study by jumping in. I like to call it the deep end. Okay, we're not going to wade into this slowly. We're going to jump in. First Timothy chapter six. So if you don't have a Bible, reach for one in the chair rack. It's not to, it's not to pat, tap somebody on the shoulder and say, "Hey, wake up." Uh, it's to read. Okay, First Timothy chapter six. Some of you use an app. That's cool too. Um, we don't show it up on the screen um, mostly because. It's your Bible. Um, let's get to know it. Let's get comfortable in it. First Timothy chapter 6 as you're on your way there, let me hold up my Bible and show you that this thick part is before First Timothy. This little thin part's all you got left, about 12 letters left once you hit First Timothy in the Bible. So you'll know you're kind of on the right track. Um, Paul is uh, the author of this letter, and he's coaching his successor. His successor is not only um, the one that would take over as the batons passed to him by the apostle, but he's his son in the faith. That's a big deal. Timothy found faith in Jesus through the apostle Paul. His mother and grandmother were a very big part of his childhood influence, but his definitely his, the impact of his life was the apostle Paul. His name is Timothy, and look at chapter 6 because the apostle is discussing a whole bunch. In fact, if you want to read Timothy, first and second Timothy, read it through the lens of uh, parting words uh, from a faithful, wise, godly leader, Paul, to Tim. We know him as Timothy, but I'll bet he was, he was very intimate with him. And these are two letters, happen to be the the apostles' last two letters, and they're personal letters written to Timothy, covering a a variety of subjects, only in this case, he picks up on the subject that uh, you'll see right away in chapter 6, verse 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, that's why I had you open your hands, because that's how we came into the world, like that. Somewhere along the way, we go like this, and the plan is for God to say, let it go. We brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content, second time he uses that word, with that. Those who want to get rich, I won't have you hold your hand up, but I'm guessing some honest ones would say, I do. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people, that's where I got the deep end, into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And he lists some of the kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have actually wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But you, Tim, man of God, flee from this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. And take hold of the eternal life to which indeed you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. And Paul would say I was one of them. You said, I take Jesus. I want Jesus. That's the confession we're talking about here. Then drop down the page to verse 17. Command those who are rich. So he's covering both. Those who want to get rich, he's already talked about that in verse 9, verse 17. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain ever heard of the stock market? (laughs) Right? We know that. What goes up comes down. There is not a stock chart that goes like this. And it doesn't stay that way forever. It goes like this, like a saw. Which is the wealth so uncertain. I broke in mid-sentence. But put your hope in something better than that. God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment, command those who are rich, that's who he's talking to here, Command them to do good, to be actually rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold. You get to clench your fists one last time. Take hold of life that is truly life. The Apostle... Uh, begins with a powerful principle. You can write this down if you're taking notes. When we give, we're taking a stance against greed. Okay? When we give, we're taking a stance against greed. That's what verses 9 and 10 are talking about. You're saying, well, greed doesn't even appear in those. Oh, yes, it does. Watch. Okay? Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and trap and many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. People eager for money have wandered from the faith, pierced themselves with many griefs. Listen carefully. Greed is want or desire out of control. Want or desire that's out of control. It makes greed demanding. Uh, consuming and controlling and it doesn't matter if you're a believer or not in anyone's life when you want or desire something that you are just after and if it's in the possession of someone else we introduce a different word not for today covetousness you've got the car I want the house I want finish the sentence big deal uh, could that be why this greed idea has such a potential for controlling and consuming our lives? Could it be why Jesus uh, kind of, I, I'm just going to say, he interrupted with a jolt his Sermon on the Mount. It was a cool sermon. Things were on a roll, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And right at the beginning point, maybe third of the way through, he interrupts by saying, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God, and may I put it in terms that we'll remember, and the money God. Mammon is the word Jesus. You know why I pause long? Because many people have tried it. I can do both. And you don't say it out loud, but you're thinking I could be the exception. Jesus, thanks for the warning. I know people that need it. And he goes, when are you going to get it? Um, No wonder the Bible announces boldly Greed is idolatry. So from this strong start to Timothy, I want us to imagine for a moment eavesdropping on this father-son conversation. Listen to Paul's statements. Verse 7, we start with nothing, yet yet some never... uh, They will not stop. They will stop at nothing at all. To get and to acquire and to possess and to have. See me gathering things? Greed is, is in that sense, gluttonous. Um, So he says in verse 9, words that are important, watch out. Watch out, because want isn't easily tamed. So I want to give, I'm not the first to do this. Proverbs does this. It personifies wisdom, calling wisdom a woman. And it's a helpful sort of imagery that draws you in. Greed, I want to do that right now. I want to personify greed and call it want. Now you know why I could say greed because it's listed here by Paul in his inspired words. Uh, Want isn't easily tamed. It's translated various ways in different translation. I'm reading from New International, the word want. But others use desire and longing and and wishing. And eventually, if, if it's not checked... Want becomes this weird kind of love that he talks about in verse 10. And did you read verse 10 to take it in enough to realize that the fact is uh, the fallout from this want that becomes a love of stuff is actually something that has uh, frightening implications. Um, The fallout is not hidden from us in verses 9 and 10. Stuff like temptation. They're linked. A trap. Many, not a few, many foolish and harmful desires. Think distraction. Think uh, a runner trying to run a race and run it well. Run it to win it, right? But he keeps getting distracted by, I don't know, somebody cheering or somebody... um, any runner's going to tell you. Any race uh, person's going to tell you. Keep your eyes in front of you. You're not that. That doesn't help you. What he or she's doing over here. You keep your eyes straight in front of you because it's a trap. Otherwise, many were told foolish and harmful desires. I'm reading from verse nine. It's true. And then he adds words like ruin and destruction. I think wrecking ball when I read that. It's gone. We had a house that was built at the end of our street in a farm area, and we thought when it was built, it was brand-new, beautiful, white farmhouse. And we said to ourselves, oh, good, they're never going to put the street through. <laughs> Have you been on Luke Lane Highway lately? That's our street, and it went through. And guess what happened? The people that built that bu- big, beautiful house with five acres, guess what? The day they signed the thing, the next day, a wrecking ball came. They didn't even patiently dismantle the house and, you know, repurpose stuff. And I left for work in the morning. The house was standing. I came home that afternoon gone. Ruin and destruction suddenly came into focus. We cruise along through life, and Paul says, you get this love thing going with things that it doesn't, that that's unnatural, that's not intended by God. It will lead to a sudden and often swift ruin and destruction. And none of these outcomes satisfy. Did you notice that? They're kind of like, if you think about want, it wants something. It's like inside. You don't word it, maybe, or... Articulate it, but you feel it. I want that, and so this this want is like a indulged child. Want makes demands, which usually leads to what? More want. If you if you were tempted to say, to like I got the car, the Bible says no. You you that's just temporary. That's a band aid. Problems deeper than that. Uh, don't overlook the most costly of these consequences in verse ten. Are you looking down at the page? Some people, eager for money, have checked out, and they've they've left the faith. The antidote is already, we read it, verses 11 and 12. Be a man of God and flee from this stuff. Pursue righteousness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. And then it's he, he invites us, fight. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life. Those are the things that will last. That's why it's called eternal. And the other Antidote is in verse 18. We read it near the end. Command them to be rich in good deeds. Give. Flee, because it'll kill you. Fight, because it will take a fight to break free. And then the ongoing antidote, give. Give. I have a confession to make to you right now, okay? Okay. It's not a huge sin, but it is a sin. Um, you're, you're not laughing. Probably because you're wondering if I really believe that there's big and little sins. I don't really believe that. I believe that if you break a law, you're a, you're a lawbreaker, right? James said so. But here it is in verses 9 and 10. I read words that uh, make me nervous most of the time I read them. And, and I, I'm going to be honest and tell you, I'm not nervous about you. I'm nervous about me. I just am. I, I look at that and I think, okay, I got to tell, tell the people I love, you know what? You could ask uh, the finance team. They manage all the finances around here. I have no idea what anybody gives but me and Debbie. And you know what? And I'm speaking for myself, not Debbie. She doesn't wrestle with this like I do. I don't think, but anyway, um, I do know about me, and you know what I do every week? Every week, I write a check. Actually, the truth is I use that Give app now, and it's easy and quick, and I've got such bad handwriting. So anyway, I I send money to the church, and I do it for this reason, because I almost put money in my pocket today, but literally, I don't have any cash in my pocket. Somebody want to loan me a 20? I'm just kidding. just kidding but money likes hanging out right here it it likes um, it, it, it it let's just call these pockets the good life and money likes it there for you might be a purse it doesn't matter i'm trying to illustrate the point point. and i don't want it to get comfortable where there there i want it to i want it to get out of there i want to lose my grip on it, and that's part of why I have such a habit that says I'm not going to stop doing that. And when I do it, a different outcome happens. It's like, God, that's yours. You, actually, we're going to learn more in a minute. There's, there's even more that's yours. So when we give, that's why we give. Part of the reason we're told to give is that it, it, it's a way of saying greed, enough, enough, enough now you're wise enough you don't need my help with this but it's not going to stay away okay so as much as i am swinging for the fence today and hoping to hit a home run in this message you and i could probably hear this message monthly for a long time and uh, be challenged in fresh ways that's that's the holy spirit what he does so that's a, that's a starting principle. Man, we, ought, we have a lot more that I could talk about. I, we're not going to get it all out. But um, here's a second giving principle, and you're going to have to change the page here to Mark chapter 12. Let me state it and then turn in your Bible. When you give, give generously. Okay? That's an easy one to write down. Now turn to Matthew chapter uh, Mark chapter 12, all right? So it's the second of four Gospels, Mark chapter At the end, it's the last little piece here. Uh, you probably heard of the day when Jesus was sitting in the temple and he was uh, people watching. How many go to the mall and people watch? Or Costco? Uh, you, you, I like people watching. Jesus did it. He's doing it here. And he's people watching as many wealthy ones and a nameless widow. Uh are highlighted, and they file in that church. I'm not. I didn't even notice today. Yeah, we've got a giving box back there. Years ago, we moved from passing the plate, as it's sometimes called, to a giving box. And I and I, the treasurer people, the finance people here, uh, you know, with with great uh, fiduciary concern, open it, count it together, and take care of it, manage it. That's why there's no. Nefarious stories to tell about finances at Grace Point, and there won't be. It never has been. That's just not how we do things. We do it Jesus' way. I have no idea. Oh, is that? I'm not gonna say Judy's name, but get help her with her phone real quick there. (laughs) It's okay. That guy has a pretty cool voice, actually, when you think about it. Are you in Mark twelve? I'm tempted to have you come up here and hold that voice to the mic right here. That'd be kind of a fun way to change it up. Okay, so Jesus, um, he's he's standing, he's sitting there watching people file by a giving box, and um, and it turns out this way. Jesus sat ap- opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple. I'm reading from verse 41. They were putting their money into the temple treasury box. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. What he saw stirred him to say something to his disciples. Verse 43, calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, check it out. I tell you the truth, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all those others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all that she had to live on. The widow, it turns out, was more generous than the high pockets people who gave large amounts, according to Jesus. How so, some of you maybe critics or hesitant ones might say. How so? Well, the wealthy had a lot of money before and after they gave. This widow, to confession, I do not bend over and pick up pennies today. I made a decision a few years ago that I would only go for something shiny like a nickel or more. And that's saying a lot. I'm Scottish, right? Okay, <laughs> so there it is. This widow had two pennies. Just put it in that term. I don't need to bother you with the conversion rate to money in the first century. It was it was fractional. But in releasing it, she let go of Everything she had. All of us get that. Someone said of that scene, God sees not the portion, but the proportion. I like that. Could go a long direction this morning on that. Jesus is teaching that when we give, And remember we started with it's time it's talent and it's money I'm going to be bold and say something your money doesn't matter as much to you as your time I don't know anybody that would disagree with that I'm sure some would say no I just need a nickel that's all I need okay I get it but you know what I'm talking about when you hear of a need do you roll up your sleeves and give of your time to meet the need? Or do you look for your checkbook and say, I can write a check and take care of that need? It doesn't make you bad. It's simply I'm trying to observe something that's present in our day. We, we got time, but limited amounts. Some of us have more money than we have time to spend. And so it's easier. It's less sacrificial. For me to write a check, I won't even notice it missing. But the time is a big deal, um, and Jesus expects us to give generously. A third stop in our study—you're going to have to turn again, but you're doing a great job. So go to Second Corinthians; it's probably chapters nine or 8 and 9, are the giving chapters in the New Testament. Um, I guess you could say that about 1 Timothy 6, where we already spent some time. But 2 Corinthians chapters uh, 8 and 9, we're only going to look at chapter 9 for a couple of verses here. Um, It's a principle in chapter 9 that gives us a vivid analogy uh, to help us remember this truth this morning. When you give, give Generously. Okay, Um, verse 6, look on with me. Remember this, 2 Corinthians 9. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly. There's no arm twisting. That doesn't work. It's certainly not a sustainable approach. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves, I always like a sentence that starts that way because I want to be the, who he's describing. Well, he loves a cheerful giver. There's the answer. Look at verse 8. God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. That's really good stuff. We're being described, uh, uh, being told about a lesson from the harvest. Uh, if you plant a small amount of seed, if you're a gardener or a farmer, you use the word sow. Okay, you sow a small amount of seed. Uh, what's the likely result? At the at, goes in the ground, that means sowed, right? When it's harvest time, what's the amount? Small, right there's no funny math here, so a small amount, and you will harvest a small amount right so let's just say um, uh, it's springtime, and you you're coming off a hard winter and you're a little cautious about because you heard the news, and it's El Nino and it's going to be really hot and the drought and so Go easy this spring and only sow a little bit of seed. And you have your reasons, so that's the approach you take. Uh, driven maybe a little bit by fear, uh, you flirt with the idea that, no, this is wise. But that, that bad winter is behind you. You've got, uh, you know, this is a new season. Still, you make the choice and you sow sparingly. And then summer comes. But drought doesn't. Wait a minute. The forecast was, but drought didn't come. In fact, there was plenty of timely rain in the growing season. Okay, fast forward. It's harvest time now. And you go out there and you see something that's downright alarming. You have... You have really good uh, fruit or vegetables, but very few of them, not because some died, everything you planted grew, and it grew big and good and delicious. Only your caution back here that said, no, I'm going I'm to plant, I'm going to sow sparingly. The law of the harvest says, I don't care what you want. After you sow little, it will not produce a lot. Verse 6 gets my attention. It pulls me out of my chair. Maybe it'll work for you. Remember this. What would what would cause the Apostle Paul to lead a, a, a verse with those two words, remember this? He starts the sentence that way. Could it be... Um, he knows something about human nature we're capable of forgetting why would you say remember this how many of you were a student in high school okay your hands moving a lot today all right how many went on to college or something like that okay quite a few college people as well so it's like listening to a lecture and the guy goes on or the gal just goes on and on and i realize some of you are going yeah and so are you Pastor. Um, <laughs> you're trying to pay attention, you're t- trying to stay dialed in. And then your teacher says, "Hey, you guys, you might want to uh, get this down. In fact, you'll want to remember what I'm about to say." And if you're a smart student, what do you do? Get on your phone and start talking? No, you dry, you hang up right there and you you get serious. Why? Cuz you know something. It's going to be on the test. It's it's a sure bet. In fact, you know that principle so much, you actually memorize that principle. So Paul is saying, remember, remember this. Two principles, sow sparingly and reap sparingly. Sow abundantly and call your friends to come share the harvest. You'll reap generously. And please don't, don't leave here thinking, Pastor Steve's heading down that prosperity gospel path. Actually, no, I'm not. That's, that's way, way off. I'm heading down the generosity gospel path. That's what I'm on. I think that's what God wants all of us. We reap, don't forget this, we reap in relation to what we sow. All right. Um, I want to leave you with a final principle here. Man, I got two more. um, You guys doing okay? Do you want to stand and wiggle for a minute? Would that be weird? Let's do it. Let's try it. We'll just say we did it today. Everybody stand up, wiggle, and wave at somebody. And you at home do the same thing. We're going to have a good time. And if you're one of those standing right now, you're making a statement. Preach on, pastor. Preach on. All right? That's good. Have a seat. We're going we're to crank forward, okay? Here we go. Um, here's the third principle. You, some of you still have your pens out. You need to write this down. What you give of your time, talent, and treasure, what you give was in fact... Given to you. Whoa, does that reset. Given to you. Stay right here in 2 Corinthians 9, and I want you to look at two verses we just read, but I want you to see one word in both verses, two two words in both verses. Verse 8, God is able to bless you abundantly. Here's the two words. So that, would you circle those? They're called a hina clause in Greek. Okay, You don't have to worry about the spelling, H-I-N-A, but it's got a little doohickey. So a Hina clause, known as a purpose clause. You'll see it again. That's verse 8. You're going to see it also in verse 11. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. The point here is when God says give, he's saying, I've given to you. And I expect you to follow through on what's behind the so that. So God is able to bless you abundantly, verse 8, and he has. Would Would you give me an amen there? Okay. So that for the purpose of in all things at all times, having all that he provided you that you need, you will hoard it and stash it away right? No. You will will abound in good works. He says the same exact thing in verse 11. You will be enriched by God in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through your generosity, who gets the glory? Who gets it? Him. Because it's not you doing it. He's the source of the generosity. The seed you sow, the seed I sow, comes from him. We are not reservoirs, people. We are rivers, rivers. Let it flow. I'm speaking to myself. Let it flow, let it go. When we give, we're taken from the storehouse that he's given us to manage, and we're Putting it to work for his harvest. Let me get real personal and be done. (laughs) Like I haven't been. Okay. If you say that's pretty good logic, Pastor. And I think you would agree it is pretty good logic. Uh, But what, what I give. In fact, you told us about how you give. It's really coming out of your bank account. I mean, let's be honest that's figurative and it's compelling but it's coming out of your bank account how many think that's accurate right I know you're cautious now there's a setup coming okay to which I would say if you believe that really I have a series of questions y- you need to answer who put it into your bank account Hold on. If you say, my boss, or my job, or auto deposit. That's how we do it here at the church, auto deposit. Then I have a second question. Who gave you that job? Who gave you the job? If you say, well, not to be cute, Pastor, but I applied for the job. And I interviewed well. And they say, We want you. So far? Third question Who gave you the credentials or the skills or the degree necessary for you to score that job? If you say, What well, my first answer is, I did. or you even name a college or grad school or seminary then my next question is who gave you the brains to study and to get good grades and to pass tests and classes and graduate do you see where this is going God gets to rightfully ask the ultimate question. Who gives you breath? Will you please today, before you're done, with your Bible still open, will you read Deuteronomy chapter 8? It's a really important passage in God's word. And it's where the Israelites just to set your appetite for it. They're a week or two from entering the promised land after wandering in the wilderness for how long? 40 years, four decades. They're one one or two weeks away from entering the land. And they're told in Deuteronomy chapter 8, listen, uh, this land's full of abundance, but there's also Kool-Aid served in this land. Don't drink... once you get there and enjoy the abundance, you're drinking Kool-Aid if you think, I did this. I'm good. I pulled this off. This promised land is really cool. You're looking at why. Deuteronomy 8, okay, i said enough. Remember. There is a seed in your pocket or purse because of God. And I I think God's heart would be thrilled if you saw it that way. Maybe some of you differently than you have. Uh, I know there's stuff, there's work for me to do, but when we didn't We didn't have the breath we needed to do and find the job and have without it being given to us. Uh, Why do we do that weird thing and forget? Um, What we have did not come from our job. It did not come from parents. It did not come from inheritance. I'm hitting all the things. It did not come from the lottery or investments or talent or achievement. All of those are tempting answers. God gave it to you with the expectation of getting it through you. I'd like you to bow your is a really important moment in our morning and um, I'm going to ask you a question that you can answer with the Holy Spirit's help only your answer may not be accurate otherwise okay how much of what God has given you has gotten through you please don't forget I'm not asking to look at your checkbook ledger or your visa statement. We're talking about other things that frankly are more costly to give. If it's true that the source of your money is the same source for your talent and your time, then 100% of everything that God's word spoke to us today about money is also true about those other two commodities that we possess. So, how much of what God has given you in time and talent and treasure is being being used? Has it gotten through you? I'm going to take a stab and say if If it hasn't, the Holy Spirit's going to show you that right now. He's going to say, you know, this isn't just a conclusion with a piano playing and getting set for a final song. This is something for you to think about. And if we're alike in any way, there's a temptation to push back uh, and put it off the Holy Spirit is saying, change it up. and change it up. If you're here this morning in the house or online and you're hearing a, a message that is, is compelling you, you're looking for loopholes, but they're not showing up. The Holy Spirit is saying something to you. Listen up. Because maybe you're not in the habit of giving and Habits, old habits, die hard. Telling me to change something? I'm not telling you. The Holy Spirit's the one. And if he tells you to give more freely, then don't get anything in the way of that. Your time, your treasure, your talents, your presence, your influence, your love, your life. God, we recognize that there are mountains in the way. We're going to sing a song that we say to the mountains, get out of the way. I want God to have his way, the way maker, in my heart, in my life, in my time, in my talent, in my treasure. For the glory of Jesus Christ. Let's stand together and let's sing this final song.